0: Hey everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for people that are passionate about health, passionate about making others healthier in this world, passionate about putting together tech processes, um, care delivery, anything that's making people healthier today, tomorrow. And uh, what I'm really excited about is we have Dr. Sonny Kumar on the show. Sonny is a partner at GSR Ventures. He focuses on early stage companies What's really fascinating is he's investing and in looking at certain themes in AI, machine learning, a variety of vast different topics that we've already touched upon. Um, hopefully, on a few of those, we can go a little bit deeper. But not to steal his thunder, Sonny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. Happy to be here. Great, great. Well, well, Sonny, thanks for joining. Tell us about you, Sonny. Tell us about where you started. You know how you started. Tell us, tell us your origin story. Would be happy to.
1: So. Probably like many of your guests on this show, I I didn't expect to be where I am today. It was actually a relatively recent transition, so we're winding back a little bit. I first thought I would actually be a PhD scientist, and all the way from high school through most of college had been gearing myself towards that, was studying molecular biology with a focus on really early-stage research in neural stem cells, which is very different from what I'm doing today. I think a pivotal moment for me was actually when I went and did a global health-focused study out in rural Ghana. And... Uh, While still heavily research focused, the transition point was that I really enjoyed working with people and having an impact on individual people uh, from day to day and moment to moment. And that made me realize that there was perhaps something more that I could do that would speak to me beyond just a research career. And One thing led to another, and I found myself actually attending med school out west at Stanford. At Stanford, I had the privilege of continuing my research, as well as studying some new topics, including informatics and big data. And again, one thing led to another, and all of a sudden I found myself in business school. And the reason why I went to business school was that I had seen that when you were taught medicine, there are certain ways that you were told medicine should be practiced. But when you actually enter the hospital, you see that there are certain divergences from that. And at the core of many of those divergences, I found was some disconnect between what was demanded from an administrative perspective and what the clinicians had in mind. So hoping to understand that a little bit better, I decided to go to business school, maybe understand how health systems are run, what the priorities that administrators are facing, and how to maybe combine my clinical and medical knowledge with the knowledge of how to run a bigger health system. I did accomplish that to some effect, but having been out here in Silicon Valley, also caught the entrepreneurial bug myself and spent some time working on an AI-enabled startup looking at natural language processing for remote patient monitoring. And through that, got exposed to the venture side of it. Uh, after spending some time exploring venture, decided that I, there was a potential for me to have a unique and potentially large impact by enabling companies that are building interesting technologies. So I took a fairly sharp turn after my education, decided not to pursue clinical practice and instead today, spend almost all of my time looking at companies applying artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies to the healthcare sector with the goal of transforming how people in the U.S. and throughout the world interact with their healthcare providers.
0: So, Sonny, just to play that back a little bit, um, you started off in molecular biology, right, or, or with a focus there. You mm-hmm. from Stanford Med School. You got to see the people side on, um, you know, from your trips to Ghana and your stays at Ghana on the on, from a rural perspective. You mentioned stem cell stuff. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated there. Anything exciting you see happening with stem cells today? Like, I know there's like clinics in like Panama City you can go to, and people are doing. Like uh, you know, medical tourism to get stem cell injections to heal their back and you know cancers and things like that. But anything, anything uh, you know, consumerized happening there that that you know the public should be more mindful of.
1: So, Anthony, the joke in stem cell research is a groundbreaking therapy is always ten years away, and it's been right. that way for probably the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. So, I, I still think that that's largely true. There are increasingly approaches looking at injecting either your own stem cells or reprogrammed stem cells from other cells in your body. Uh, The reality of it is that the research, although potentially promising, is still very, very early. Uh, And there's nothing, as far as I'm aware, that has been shown in rigorous clinical studies to have Hmm. a meaningful benefit. So that's not to discount some of the efforts being done today. But I still think that there is a threshold for widespread approval from a clinical validity standpoint that has not yet been crossed uh, for most, if not all of these interventions today.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that because it, it seems like just like anything in like CRISPR, it's like, you know, before CRISPR was gaining attention, you know, stem cell was as well. And it seems like there's some promising things there, but seems like there's there's um, there's still more to happen there and understand. Um tell me a little bit, Sonny. So you guys invest in a lot of different thematic things, and you touched a couple of those as well, from you know, like deep six to to, to, to Zingbox, mm-hmm. uh Kinsa on the device side, Cherry Home on the, the AI for the analytics side. Tell but these are really interesting things: AI, IoT, um you know, consumerizations of health. But tell us what has you passionate in health today. Like maybe you can talk, you know, pick one or two items here and just go a little bit deeper in terms Mm -hmm. of why you're passionate about these areas when it comes to health? Yeah, it's a very good question. If I can actually
1: step back and give a little bit of background and perspective. I mean, we've been looking at AI uh, applied to a variety of sectors, including healthcare, for about six years now, starting in 2013. And what we've seen over time is a, a gradual evolution in the types of problems being solved by these companies. If I were to generalize a bit, the first wave of companies applying AI, which are roughly around the 2013 to 2016 timeframe, were those that were focusing on point solutions within the healthcare space. The most stereotypical examples in healthcare would be diagnostic radiology algorithms that were, for example, trying to solve Long chest x-ray nodules mm-hmm. or looking at uh, brain CTs to be able to diagnose bleeds. And these are good technologies. And actually, the technologies did work. They were, in at least some use cases, just as effective as a physician in diagnosing what may or may not have been present in the skin. The challenge with these companies was that it was very difficult for them to gain traction. Uh, they could, they found it difficult for a health system to be able to buy a point solution and integrate it into their service model. The second wave of companies, which started again around 2015, 2016, and continued through most of last year, were focusing on building technology platforms, so one level beyond a point solution, taking a sector or subsector and trying to solve a whole series of problems within that, so not just dealing with chest X-rays, but perhaps dealing with every form, every major form of radiology modality, or doing the same for pathology or for dermatology. And these ones look increasingly more interesting because a health system or a provider can now insert this technology into their service model and actually gain significant benefits from an efficiency standpoint or a cost effectiveness standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think looking forward, what the future holds, and again, this is somewhat speculation, but what we hope is that it looks like these AI technologies are going to be impactful. And they are going to continue to do more and more things than they can do today. So the question becomes now, in a future that's one, two, maybe five years away, can we see a world in which entire sectors of healthcare can be rebuilt end-to-end using AI? Mm. To give you an analogy, I mean, if you look at previous waves of technology, the, way, the ways that they had an impact was not by making some segment of an existing industry a little bit more efficient. It was by redesigning the way that people interacted with those industries from the ground up. Take Amazon. They didn't succeed because they made the process of going to the store a little bit more efficient or finding an item within a store a little bit more efficient. They've completely redesigned what it meant to purchase an item. And I think that's the kind of trajectory we're seeing now in healthcare. And That's where I spend most of my time today, looking at where in healthcare can we find these opportunities to completely redesign the system around AI. And in doing so, create much better outcomes for patients, create much better cost effectiveness at the system level, and also increase the satisfaction and the productivity of physicians providing that care. Hmm.
0: Wow, wow. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and it, it does feel like, you know, that's where the incremental lift is going to come from in healthcare is not, you know, going from, you know, like, normal to a little bit better than normal, right? It's kind of going from normal to super normal in healthcare, which feels like sometimes the inverse when it comes to consumerized, um, you know, technology solutions. But just uh, to go a little bit deeper there, can you describe a little bit on like what would be, you know, these concepts and technologies in action, what would be like a stack that would work from a process or technology standpoint, like with a provider, right? So traditionally, and now it's like tradition was only like 24 months ago, but traditionally you have an EHR and then you have a bunch of other side processes, right? That maybe enhance the solution, maybe some data exports, imports, um, huge sensitivity on on compliance, security, et cetera. But how, how would some of these maybe did some of the companies you invested in, but how how does AI, cloud, and, and some of these new concepts make its way? Maybe you can walk us through like a, a, like a stack, a sample stack. Yeah, for
1: sure. I'd be happy to. So let me give you one example that's currently in process today, and then I'll give you a hypothetical of what things could be tomorrow. So you mentioned Deep Six AI, which is focused on the clinical trial space. The main problem they're solving today is patient recruitment. As you probably know, there are many, many trials in the U.S. that go, unfilled, or heavily delayed in recruiting the patients they want to get. So what DeepSix 6 does is they use natural language processing in partnership with these big academic medical centers to find all of the patients that could be eligible for these trials and get them into it sooner and faster, creating value for the patient, creating value for the academic medical center, and creating value for the pharmaceutical company running the clinical trials. But that again is just one part of a much longer and much broader process of clinical Mm -hmm. trials. And what DeepSix wants to do is use their database, use their technology to actually solve the entire problem and challenge and inefficiency of clinical trials from the very beginning, from conceptual design, all the way to post-trial monitoring. So what does Mm -hmm. that look like? In a world where you actually know where all the potential patients could be, DeepSix could work with a pharmaceutical company to help them design their trial, their inclusion, their exclusion criteria, their endpoints, their metrics, in order to much more closely guarantee that they'll be able to actually fill the trial, complete the trial, and potentially even increase their chance of success. Mm
0: -hmm. Once
1: they've helped them design the trial, again, they can help recruit the patients, which they're doing now. And then the next step could be providing real-time assessments for how those patients are doing. Today, as the clinical trial space evolves, there's a movement towards something known as adaptive clinical trial design, which means if you look at your patient population, instead of just waiting the 2, 5, or 10 years for the trial to be over, during the trial, you can look in and see, okay, there's a certain subpopulation that seems to be responding well. What are the characteristics about that subpopulation that's enabling that? And can we, as we recruit the second half or the, the next three quarters of the patient's can we find that subpopulation and make sure we target them to have a better Mm -hmm. chance of success and make the therapy better for the patients that will eventually be getting it? Mm
0: -hmm. That's
1: one vision that we see that's not too far away. I mean, That's a vision that we hope to be implementing in the next one to three years. Mm -hmm. To give you a much broader example, if you look at the way most people interact with the health system today, let's say you have a uh, moderately to severely concerning new problem, the way you would handle it is you'd either go to the emergency department or the urgent care center. There you would get have a nurse do an intake. You would wait around, sometimes for half an hour, sometimes for two hours for a physician to come, ask you a fairly standard series of questions, take a fairly standard series of physical measurements, and order a fairly standard series of labs, depending on what your presenting complaint was. They then get those results, process them in a again relatively standard way, to determine if you have a serious problem that needs more follow-up or if this is something that isn't too concerning and can be dealt with outside of the hospital. And you basically, in most, I would say 90 plus percent of patients follow that trajectory. Now that creates an opportunity. Is there a world in which we can enable all of those providers along the way to use AI-enabled algorithms to accelerate and speed the efficiency of care being delivered so that when you come in, you can answer a questionnaire on an iPad or some sort of device. Using that, be proactively sorted into different types of risk categories. Have mm-hmm. the measurements and questions and labs that are necessary ordered automatically based on what you're describing. And then still have the physician and the nurse in the loop still reviewing the data and still making the final decision, but reducing the amount of time they need to spend with each patient thus allowing them to each physician or each nurse to see five or 10 times as many patients in any given unit of time. If you can do that, that could seriously bend the cost curve for healthcare in the US. And that's where you're not going to get a 5% or 10% benefit. But again, a 2x, 5x or 10x benefit.
0: Mm. And, and this is really super fascinating. And so Sonny, um the AI side, the, the clinical side, you know, these are really great Innovations with clear ROI calculators, can you, obviously from a venture capital standpoint, it is all about the 2x, the 4x, the 5x, or, or it's not venture capital worthy, right? But how, how would, you know, a, a founder for like a health tech company that's that's in charge of one of these innovative services that has created the service, they're trying to position it, they've got something that's promising that can really get significant ROI lift what advice would you have for positioning these services so that they can be bought they're understood they can be bought well they can be integrated into the current current clinical flows and systems and and really set themselves up for not just scale but becoming you know like household names in in their respective industries i really think that's a fantastic question and i think
1: To be honest with you, it's been an area that makes healthcare quite challenging. Everybody knows that selling to health systems is a long and often arduous journey. Sales cycles often being quoted from between 12 and 18 months. And the history being that many of these health systems haven't purchased technical solutions to these types of problems. And that's been known for quite some time. So the question is, how do you get around that barrier? And we found that there are three major value propositions when you're building this type of technology and selling it to a health system. And each of them has a different type of response and a priority that they get back from these types of buyers. The first and most powerful driver is if your solution is directly revenue generating. If I can show you that if you buy my solution today, you will generate 2x the revenue tomorrow and 5x by the end of the year, it becomes a very easy decision to purchase that solution or not. I can see the benefit, I will see the payback period, and it makes sense to me as the chief procurement officer at a health system. The second priority has to do with regulatory issues. So if there is some change in the regulatory ecosystem that pushes these health systems to purchase a technology, that again is also a very strong enabling factor. The biggest one we're seeing today is in the cybersecurity space, with an increasing number of attacks being focused on health systems to acquire health records. There is quite a bit of push to secure both IoT devices as well as back-end systems within hospitals that is driving quite a bit of activity and revenue generating opportunities. For better or worse, the most difficult value proposition is on the cost savings side. And unfortunately, most of the solutions that are being developed today tend to be focused on cost savings. Again, making people a little bit more productive, reducing the cost of deploying a certain level of care. These are going to be beneficial in the long run, but the truth is it becomes quite difficult to make that argument to a chief procurement officer and to accelerate their timeline beyond that 12 to 18 month sales cycle. So if you are a new founder looking at where to focus your energies and what kind of an opportunity to develop, I would encourage you to look at one of those first two, either a solution that's directly revenue generating or a solution that because of the current ecosystem has strong regulatory support that drives
0: adoption at these health systems. No, this is this is really good on the on the first point, um, if you're a founder for one of the AI companies or, you know, something that let's just say it it does have a revenue generating, you know, uh, value proposition or health, you know, health revenue optimization value proposition. Who's the, the founder of the, org, the, the company or the sales team? Who should they be calling on? For Obviously, it varies, right? But how, what's the first part of their navigation? Do they, mm-hmm. do they call the chief procurement officer? Do they, do they get the ROI calculator to the CFO? Um, what are some general kind of tips or, you know, like a general playbook that you would, you know, kind of recommend if there is a general one? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think the first decision is figuring out roughly what is the value of your product. And Mm -hmm. who would be the best buyer? And in healthcare, it kind of streams across three different groups. There's the big health systems, which are the enterprise-level customers. Mm -hmm. You have your smaller clinics and individual practices, uh, which can still be quite interesting. And there are many more of them. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, there are the approaches that are typically more consumer-facing. And each of those has very different dynamics as far as how you're selling and how fast you can scale up. Uh, So first decide, is your product one that if deployed in a health system can generate some significant amount of value? Let's say, for example, a million dollars. If that's the case, then it may be worth selling to those health systems and spending $100,000 in order to get that sale because it's Mm -hmm. actually worth that much. If, on the other hand, your product is something that would be worth $10,000 or twenty thousand dollars and create that much value. Perhaps it makes more sense to go after a small clinic or practice and having a inside sales team reaching out to the tens or fifty thousand physicians that may be within your sphere of influence.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course,
1: if you're generating more 10, fifty, a hundred dollars of value, to an individual person, then of course going directly to the patient is probably where you can have the most impact. So first determining what kind of value you're seeing and where you can deploy that value and capture that value will determine who you should be going after. Now to answer your question a little bit more directly, if you wanna focus on health systems, many of these companies do, the question is really finding who's gonna be your champion. In many of these hospitals, particularly on the academic side, but really throughout the US, Uh, The easiest way to get in front of a decision maker is find some champion who's often a practicing clinician who sees the value of your solution and your technology and sees the the way that it could impact their patients and have them be the one that brings you to the chief procurement officer or the chief financial officer. Mm. Having that support goes miles and miles when it comes to actually being able to close the deal as opposed to going directly to the financial
0: decision maker from the get go. Got it. Got it. And then and you touched upon in the other second element was the regulatory pieces and the cybersecurity example, powerful powerful phenomenon that's happening there. Anything else from a provider payer standpoint on the regulatory side that bears with it opportunities like commercial opportunities that that could be an enabling, you know, factor for for business development.
1: Yeah, another area that we've talked about for quite some time, though it looks like it is maturing, is the shift to value-based care. Uh, The big difference between fee-for-service and value-based care, of course, is what is the critical outcome that is measured when it comes to actually uh, accruing revenue. And in value-based care, what you're focusing on is optimizing the health of the patient or the patient population. Now, this has been something that's been discussed for quite a while and has been very slow to see major adoption, but there are increasing signals that this is the direction that many health systems, including the U.S., will eventually move towards. Being able to take advantage of that, which means looking at different ways for billing, looking at different methods of insurance, looking at different uh, ROIs when it comes to delivering care, is another trend that may be worth keeping an
0: eye on and trying to capture. Mm. Nice, nice. No, Sunny, this is this is powerful. I appreciate you recapping, and yeah, we've been going going deeper on on these elements of value based care. But I, I think from a venture capitalist standpoint, and, and having you uh, describe and articulate uh, not just the innovations that are happening in the space, you know, from AI to the clinical trials to. Know the companies that you guys invested in, but how do you position these services to grow and scale and to be bought? Right, you know, and sometimes there's there there's so many solutions out there that are just so good, they're just so hard to buy too. So making them easy to buy and assimilate and distribute is is probably just as important. Um, Sunny, I want to be sensitive to time here, but one of the most intriguing uh, elements that 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 provides a lot of um, great discussion is the future of healthcare. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you see the future of healthcare evolving, or tell us about your vision of of health in the future. Yeah,
1: it's a great question. When I first
0: started looking at AI in healthcare, there was a lot
1: of talk of AI replacing physicians. And the reality, at least from my perspective, is I don't think we're going to get there, not only anytime soon, but really anytime in the foreseeable future, because it doesn't make sense from the way that healthcare is delivered and practiced in the US. Instead, what I think is going to happen is not that AI is going to replace doctors, but doctors using AI are going to replace doctors not using AI. I think AI is going to be an enabling technology that allows physicians to become far more efficient and far more effective at delivering the type of care they need to deliver, while other forms of other providers, both mid-level providers and potentially even just Uh, algorithmic providers are 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 going to be able to cover a lower acuity or more typical average patient. So the future that I see is one where instead of having to wait two weeks to get a doctor's appointment and then driving over there and then spending an hour in the waiting room just to get five or ten minutes of the doctor's time, is a future in which you first input your problems into some sort of form or survey. You then get a result determining whether or not this is something that you need to worry about or something that's just fine and that should resolve on its own. If it's something that's more concerning, you'll then go to the physician and because hopefully they'll be able to spend more of their time with the patients that really need their help, instead of spending two, five, ten minutes with them, you'll be able to spend 20, 30, 40 minutes with him or her to get the care you really need to understand what the solutions are and the possible therapeutic options are, and then be able to get that solution delivered to you much more efficiently and hopefully at a Mm -hmm. cheaper, more cost-effective version, driving down the cost of care across the US. Mm -hmm. Now, is that vision a year away or 10 years away? I I can't be quite certain,
0: but I hope Mm -hmm. that's the
1: direction that we're moving towards.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to, I appreciate you elaborating there because I was going to ask you how many, you know, how many years or months you feel we are away from achieving this, this like new higher standard. And so it's, it's, it's absolutely intriguing on a separate, but a sub thought. I was getting coffee the other day and I was just telling one of our team members about this is uh, I was getting coffee and I hear someone behind me making uh, a call and they're saying, Hey Siri, call, you know, Dr. Rob Brown. And I'm, I'm I'm trying to discern. Okay, am I just getting older and I'm not with it and using Siri, asking Siri yet mm-hmm. to call people on my behalf, or you know, am I old-fashioned and pressing the button mm-hmm. <laughs> for the doctor? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it feels like that's that's you know, we're in that middle of, of 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 you know, enabling factors and discerning whether or not you know the true AI and machine learning and data science elements that could really help us in our functions. Versus, you know, what what is still a bit a little bit of ways away and is needing a little bit more structure and context to be able to solution right against, yeah. and so it's just one of these interesting thoughts I just had. One of these moments I'm like, should I be doing or, or is that silly? And should I just be hitting? <laughs> Actually, not my phone. I love that you brought up
1: Siri. Not necessarily because Siri provides healthcare today, but I think there's also a complementary movement that we're seeing, which is that. Healthcare is not only becoming more accessible from a traditional service level perspective, but also that there are new ways of engaging with your health through monitoring devices, through smart speakers and smartphones and sensors. And uh, the honest truth of it is we haven't yet seen a groundbreaking example of something that really redefines how people access care or get diagnosed. But I do think we are going to move increasingly in that direction such that the traditional healthcare system will still exist, but it will complement the healthcare
0: system that you have in your pocket or on your watch mm-hmm. or elsewhere. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's 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 very fascinating. I appreciate your insights that you're bringing in this space. And it's exciting to see that it's not just um, ideas and thoughts that have you and GSR very passionate about this space, but you know, you're voting with your dollars, right? You know, you've got some great portfolio companies that are doing some great point solutions that look poised to become household names in their in their areas. Um, Sonny, um, again, stop me here. I can probably geek out with you all day long. But um, last question is uh, more thematically on some other interesting trends and themes that I'm sure you're seeing inside and outside of healthcare. AR, VR, MR, um, drone technology, CRISPR, any other themes that you're ex- excited about, aside from AI, that you have a thought that you know we're, we might be underestimating its its impact in the next five years, but maybe um, it, it's going to be more game changing and groundbreaking. You know, obviously your background started in molecular, you know, biology, right? And you had a big passion for that and and, and went deep there. Is there stuff even on that side, on the molecular side or CRISPR side or anything like that that you know, can bear some some significant promise into the healthcare industry. Yeah. So from a development standpoint today, all of the
1: technologies you mentioned, and I also throw in crypto and blockchain mm-hmm. into that, uh, are very early. I, I think there mm-hmm. is potential and promise, but from a deployment perspective, it's too early to see really meaningful applications being developed. They're going to get widespread use within some near-term timeframe of, say, one to two years. Uh, that mm-hmm. said, I do think that there are going to be some very interesting applications of those technologies. Drones, for example, look like they can very much increase access to care, particularly in rural or in developing regions outside the U.S., making access to medication or tests or diagnostics uh, much easier than it was previously. Uh, I think AR looks like there are interesting tools being developed, still mostly in the laboratory, but that can augment both training as well as surgical practice. And I think uh, perhaps maybe even the closest to near-term is CRISPR technology. I think that there's going to be a whole sea of new therapeutics that become available once CRISPR matures. Now, again, I'm not an expert in CRISPR, so I can't tell you if it'll happen in the next two years or if it's 10 years away. But the baseline, the fundamental technology at play here will enable a whole host of diseases to be addressed in a way that simply could not be treated today. So I am optimistic on all of these. Uh, I think it may still be some time, however, before we see mm-hmm. real groundbreaking, game-changing technologies and applications come out of these these, these
0: areas. Awesome. Awesome. Sunny, this is powerful. Um, I want to be sensitive to your time. I, I really appreciate you bringing, you know, the insights uh, from not just from a VC perspective, from, but from a medical standpoint, from, you know, the depth that you you bring through your, you know, your studies and what you've seen, you know, from being on the entrepreneur side. Now you're on, you know, so you've been on both sides of the table. Um, if a table has three sides to it, you've been on the medical side as well. So super, super intriguing and a, a blessing that you're bringing these competencies and and depth of knowledge to the industry. And so I appreciate you talking about some of the technologies, elaborating with them, and then sharing your vision of the the future. So super exciting. Um, If our listeners want to get a hold of you and engage with you, what would be a great way to do so, Sonny?
1: Email would be fantastic, and I'd be very much open to anyone. Feel free to reach out to me. My email address is Sonny Kumar, that's S-U-N-N-Y-K-U-M-A-R,
0: at G S R Ventures. Dot com great great well well sunny thanks again for being on the show for our listeners out there again this is the pop health show and this is for people that are passionate about making others healthier in this world sunny again thank you so much thank you anthony thanks